Welcome back to the Wisdom Archiver. In this episode, I am joined by my friend Dewi Kusuma, CEO of Naked Press, a socially responsible business producing cold pressed juice for detox and health. Today, we have a very special guest, Ibu Yuli Esmartono. She is a longtime journalist from Indonesia. Uh, she has retired uh, recently, uh, but previously, she has done a lot of coverage in conflict zones and also covering a story about a drug trade in Southeast Asia as well. So uh, currently, Ibu Ismartono sits uh, on the board of a number of institutions such as the Bali-based Coral Triangle Center. She also sits uh, in the governing board of Prestasi Junior Indonesia or PJI. She also are board member of uh, Natural Resources Governance Institute. So welcome, Ibu Yuli. Thank you. Um, and, and I'm very, very pleased to have you with us. To begin this session, if we can start with the story of how you had the inspiration to get into journalism. Actually, uh, I became a journalist, uh, not intentionally. Uh, it was like by chance. I am a daughter of a diplomat. So I traveled with my parents all around the world when they were working for the Indonesian embassy, South America, India, you know, and uh, so... I wanted that kind of life. I wanted to see the world. Uh, the adventure in me wanted to go out. So after I finished school, I finished my BA in New Delhi. And you'll be interested to know that I went to university there, Delhi University, and my college mate was none other than Aung San Suu Kyi of Burma, who is now wow. incarcerated wow. at home. <laughs> so she became a college mate for three years. And she went on to Oxford for her master's, and I went to the U.S. for my master's. Before that, as I was waiting, uh, coming home from India and trying to figure out what to do, um, I met Ibu Herawati Dia, who is probably the first woman journalist in Indonesia. She is the one who started Indonesian Observer, the newspaper in English. She offered me a job. We said, look, why don't you try being a journalist? And she, I started right at the beginning, right from the bottom, covering City Hall, the mayor's office, which is really nothing, but it was an experience to start with. Then I got assignments like opening the launch of an oil field out in Sumatra, and that really got my juices going. And... After that, there was no turning back. When I decided to get my MA in the US, I took up journalism. So that from then on, it was no looking back. I just became a journalist through and through. As a journalist, you covered a lot of uh, stories, right? And, and Indonesia, I think, as you know, there's not as much protection uh, for journalists uh, as, as like countries outside, like uh, in the U.S. and so forth, right? So I'm pretty sure protection against journalists in Indonesia is not as good as those in Western countries and, and so forth. So like, how do you cope with those uh, struggle? And how do you cope with the stress, for example? First of all, let me tell you, that uh, the, the, the violence against journalists, against working journalists, does not happen only in Indonesia. It happens in many developing countries. It's happening now in the Middle East. <clears throat> it happens, sometimes it happens in the US. You know, people just don't like what newspapers write about because it exposes them. So the only defense that they have against journalists is to 
to act against the violence. So what I'm trying to say here is that it's not uh, especially uh, in Indonesia, we have it in other countries. That's why I am working, in fact, I just drafted a, um, a declaration by UNESCO during World Press Freedom Day on the, the need to protect journalists if we are to have real democracy. So it's a universal thing. Now, um, okay. my work has been to cover, not intentionally, but because at that time there were many conflicts, physical conflicts, that um, I had to go to many countries, Cambodia, Vietnam, Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, uh, and some of the violent countries. In some of those places, sometimes, the protocol on how to treat, on how to treat journalists works, which is in a war situation, the Geneva Convention applies most of the time, only in places like in China and Hong Kong, I know that they get arrested easily. Uh, but sometimes where I went, I was very fortunate that I was not arrested, but I got, I got assaulted once in Burma, in Myanmar, wow. when the authoritarian government was in power. And I, I was also slapped in Thailand by, by the soldiers wow. because they thought I was a Thai. I look, I look very Asian. I can, I can become anybody in Asia except for Chinese and Japanese because I'm not fair enough. But in Cambodia, I'm mistaken for a Cambodian. In Philippines, I'm mistaken for a Filipino. So in, I was covering a demonstration in Thailand and then I got caught uh, between the soldiers that were trying to get the activists. This was again during when, when Thailand, when Bangkok was known as the coup capital of the world because oh. there was a different coup every other year, every two years or so. And the military was really in power. Since then, since the 2000, I think there's been quite a reform in the Thai military. But let me get to the crux of the problem. I think that journalists need protection. I think there should be laws about, uh, uh, about uh, assault against journalists. Because right today, the main battle that journalists are trying to report and expose is, is corruption, right? Corruption yeah. of, of the money, money corruption, where the trail goes about corruption, about intolerance, and they play violent. They use thugs to attack journalists. And this is where I think the government should step in, impose laws that protect journalists, but it's not being done, especially in Indonesia where I monitor. I haven't experienced anything in Indonesia uh, because most of my reporting has done as a foreign correspondent outside of Indonesia. I report outside for Indonesia. And as I said, I did experience my share of violence, yeah? If, if one is going to be a journalist, whether you're a man or a woman, you have to expect some violence. You're very lucky, you try to avoid it, but most of the time, you know, you have to face it. I know this because I'm married to a journalist. My daughter is a journalist. You may have wow. heard of her. She is Atika Schubert from CNN International. Ah, you may have seen okay. her name. She reported from Jakarta, from East Timor. Then she was transferred to Tokyo, 
where she was there three years. Then she went to Palestine. That was ages ago. And then she was uh, brought back to headquarters in London, where she spent seven years. But from London, she covered, do you know, remember the, 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 the bombing in France? She, she oh, yes. That, yeah. And, and uh, you know, she, she covered all those things. And so and she and I have something in common, which is how to protect ourselves in our jobs. It's just common sense. She works for a CNN. CNN mm-hmm. invested in training for their journalists on how to, how, what to do when faced in danger, when, when you are in a dangerous situation. They teach you all the tricks. I didn't go through that. Temple couldn't afford, we didn't even know there was such a training. So my daughter, wherever she went, was, was, was protected in a way. I don't think, she did uh, experience one, one violence, minor one, when she was in Israel. But she was trained in Australia by the special forces there. But sometimes there are negative things that even that can protect you. I again tech, talk about my daughter who is who covered, who was one of the first reporters to arrive in Aceh during the tsunami. Wow. Mm-hmm. How can she be protected against the sight of hundreds of dead bodies hanging from trees on the ground and people crying, children lost? It's that kind of a thing. The force, the negative force that journalists must come to grips with. So it, it, it also it, it also affects the mental quite yes. tremendously. Look, I, I've, I'm, I, I, I have two children, my daughter and my son. When I was in Bangkok covering the coup, they were about, I think, 12 and 8. Hmm. My friend, an American um, cameraman from NBC, got shot, died. And I was close by. And they dragged his body. And they wanted to borrow my car, but he was a tall guy, couldn't make it. So we had to get a tuk-tuk or something to get him to the hospital. He died on his way. But in the meantime, I got some blood on me, right? So I went home because I had to write a report for Temple to beat the deadline on Monday. And my son looked at me and almost cried. This is what happened to you. Are you hurt? The impact... I, I immediately worked and forgot about it. The reaction was afterwards, but it was on my son, on my eight-year-old son. That because, and afterwards, I found out from his teacher that he was really affected by the sight of me coming home in blood. And that's another thing that a journalist must face is the consequences of facing and reporting on violence, any kind of violence. And of course, the trauma that, that is not just uh, uh, yourself, experienced by yourself, but, but also yourself. people around you, right? That's why you will see that many journalists, good journalists, either are single or divorced people. <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, the previous uh, the previous journalist uh, I I, uh, I interviewed have that kind of trouble as well. He he mentioned, um, and wow, that that must have been quite tough uh, for for you. Um, how do you how do you cope with that kind of stress, or how do you? Yeah, I guess like uh, people, we we we're quite curious. How do you have such a strong mental, um, you know, a strength in this sense, right? To, to, to deal with this. I think the most important thing is to have a very strong support group. My support group is my family, my extended family, my direct family. They're very supportive of me. 
if I was in Indonesia doing that kind of job, my a lot of my 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 cousins and my nephews would really not approve. My grandmother would not approve. They would tell me, "Stay at home and take care of your family. That's the best job a woman can have," you know. But and my father and my fa- mother were very worried about me, but they 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 realized that that was what I want, and I didn't trouble them in the sense that uh, I didn't ask for money or anything. You know, it was what I did on my own terms. So uh, that's I- interesting uh, to to talk about. I want to I want to dig deeper about that. How do you how did you fall in love with journalism? Like, what was it that draw you into it and and kept you going? <laughs> First of all, I think I have an innate sense of adventure in me. If I could, I wanted to explore the world if I could. But, you know, I knew my limitations. So I, I had friends who were journalists and they always told me, Yuli, you've got an eye for things. Do it. So I did. My mission, as I have heard from my professors, my teachers, my mentors, is my job is to get information, the right information, and tell it to the world. The world has to know what's going on about peace, about war, about conflict, about anything. That's the job of a journalist because not everybody has access to incidents, to conflicts. They need the media. So I did that and I was challenged through all the obstacles, through all the problems, how to write it right, to write it right, you know, mm. W-R-I-T-E-R-I-G-H-T. Right. It's always a challenge. You ask around, you learn. I made mistakes and always I go back to the basics, check and recheck the facts. What, where, how, when. That's my mantra all the time. Sometimes I get it wrong. I'm not God. I'm not a superwoman, but I try to do that. That is my mission. But what really got me at that time was, again, my sense of adventure and my curious, why do people have wars? Why do people steal money? When I was looking into the drug trade, what is it that drives people to do something so criminal, you know, sacrificing everything? Pure and simple, it's money. So, you know, and why do Girls in many places in the world, I was in Thailand, so I focused on Thai girls. Why do they sacrifice their bodies, their shame, so that they can get enough money to help their poor parents up in the, in the in, in Northeast, in the poor areas? Mm. That people has to know. People can't just look down on unfortunate women who have to sell themselves on the street so blatant, so snobbish they are mm. because they're not as, as poor, as rich. They need the money, not to help themselves, to help their siblings, to help their mothers. That's mm. what I found out. And that's what we, as a journalist, has responsibility to dig in deeper. Why are people mm. doing what they're doing? They have to have a reason. And that's what I do. Mm. That, that, that mm. what, that's what drove me. And, and I my best. I'm not always good at it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so just following on your um, statement just now, you said like uh, you wanted to report not just on the, the wars, the money, but um, like the social um, push, social impact as well on the community. So 
all, out of all the topics that you have covered as a journalist, what is your like the personal topics that actually endearing to your heart? That's your soft spot. You know, I find each one, each assignment, a lesson of its own. They have a different kind. Uh, wars are mostly by governments, polit- politicians. Uh, but I do, uh, I do, uh, I, I wanted to see, for instance, the lives of the girls who sold their bodies for money. Why do they do it? And why are, why are they allowed to do it? And it seems that there is a difference of culture. I mean, if you were here in Indonesia, you wouldn't, it wouldn't be done openly, as openly as they do in Thailand. They do it in the Philippines as well too. But Thailand, I think, is, has a very uh, sensible attitude towards how to survive economically. And uh, you have to give it to the Thais, right? I mean, they survived uh, very well. What I don't agree is the trading, uh, the markup, what do they call it? Uh, people, human, human marketing, human trading. That, you know, of human the, trafficking, right? Especially yes, of definitely. children. I disapprove right. of that totally. And, uh, and I, I wrote about them. But uh, I, I think that um, what I, m- the most impressive and the most difficult assignment that I had was um, civil war in Sri Lanka between the Tamil Tigers and the, um, the Sinhalese, the Buddhists and the non-Buddhist Christians, the Muslims. It was a mm-hmm. civil war, a protracted civil war that lasted for years and years. Uh, and at that time, we thought that there was going to finally be peace because India had intervened and they were sending peace troops in there. So Tempo sent me over there. and But they had blocked uh, the roads to the to, to, to the war zones because they were still very dangerous. There were mines everywhere. And there were some rebels who also were not towing the line. So I couldn't get in. But uh, a journalist friend of mine, uh, uh, an English guy, we talked to refugees because when there are wars, there's always refugees. And mm-hmm. one refugee told me that they managed to escape the war by using this jalantikus, as we call it in Indonesia, but it's hidden lanes. So I asked, can you take us back there? So that's what I did. And I told my editors in Jakarta, you know what they said? Oh, go, go, go. Instead of saying, no, don't go. It's too dangerous. There's mines. They said, oh, go, go. We can have a scoop. So what to do? <laughs> What's the sign? Wow. <laughs> editors are the, the most, you know, unscrupulous people in the world <laughs> anyway but when when your story comes out and the magazine or newspaper is sold out then you have a sense of gratification anyway we finally went crossing very uh, the sea low channels my camera up in my head trying to avoid mine staying in following this guy and then we come to this place Jaffna which is enemy territory and was being bombed by the government. And so we had to go from tree to tree, trying to avoid the bombing, the shelling from the planes. Uh, That was scary. These people, the Tamil Tigers are known for their cruelty, for their violence, for their suicide bombing. Do you know that suicide bombing first came from 
the Tamil Tigers. Have, and so I was saying, uh-oh, where are they going to put me? They put me in a dorm of women soldiers. One of them slept to my right, another slept to my left. They protected me. They did this until I was able to get out of their area safely. But it was a very, I got sick just seeing what, how, what, what war can do to human beings. Killed, mm. maimed, put people in poverty. I would like to just add here that probably what I value most about being a journalist, especially a foreign correspondent, was my chance, my opportunity to interview leaders. Not great leaders like Trump or Kennedy or like that, but in the, my own region, I was able to interview the crown prince of Thailand, who is now the king of Thailand, you know, when mm-hmm. he was still a crown prince. Mm-hmm. I was able to interview Benazir Bhutto, the first woman prime minister of Pakistan. Mm-hmm. I was able to interview King Norodom Sihanouk when he was still alive, king of Cambodia. Mm-hmm. And President Hun Sen, when he was nothing but a foreign minister, the youngest foreign minister in the world. And Kim Dae-jung of Korea, uh, who was at that time a leftist because South Korea was under military rule and they Mm. hated Kim Dae-jung. So, you know, and I learned a lot from these people, Yasser Arafat. Although Yasser Arafat, I interviewed in Indonesia, actually, at the Mm. palace when he was visiting. But uh, the thing is that I talk about history, about how I learned from these people, how they cope, how they became leaders and what the future means to them for their own countries. That Mm. to me was precious. I interviewed Mm. Deputy Prime Minister of Malaysia at that time, Musahidam, you know, and it came out very well in a, I don't know if you've ever heard of a magazine, it's no longer in print called Matra. Mm. It's a men's magazine, it's like Esquire, except it's in Bahasa Indonesia. And uh, so, yeah, and of course, I told you before Mm. that I, after a, a, groups, a very tiring trip up and down mountain, mountains, walking by truck and by, by cladai, by donkey, I finally got to interview the opium warlord, Kunsa, Raja Opium, wow. Golden Triangle. <laughs> That's not an easy one to access and no, even get access I waited there. one whole year to get that access. Oh, what was what is, he like? Yeah. What was the vibe? It was very nice, like a lot of other tyrants and people who are very, you know, they're, they're, he's personally on a one-to-one basis, he's nice. But when I asked him, how do you justify growing opium? Opium kills kids, young people. They produce addicts and it's, 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 it's a bane, it's destructive. How can you justify that? Well, it's one way of me to make my money, he said. You know, Very it may be, practical, it may be huh? criminal, but that's what I know. Because remember, he was, a, he was one of the uh, Kuomintang generals who escaped the communist Chinese oh. and settled mm. in the Golden Triangle a long, long time ago. Mm. You know, when I was talking to him, he told me that he had five children and they were all studying in the U.S. And yet he was wanted by the DEA. American DA. Yet his children were going to school in the US and now probably are legitimate business people. 
So what's the basic, because I believe everyone is trying the best that they can. So the story that they tell themselves is actually a good story. Even though they're bad people, quote unquote, um, in the public. Is that a true statement that even though no matter how bad they are in the eyes of public, that they actually have good stories that they tell themselves to justify what they're doing? That is not what I said. It's not my statement. I want Uh, to hear from them, right? hmm. That's what they said. They justify their own action. Yeah, I didn't find it to be the right way. And I don't think people are convinced that's the right way. It's a crime, right? People yes. know it's a crime. And I got into trouble when I, when I reported on that and it appeared in the newspapers because in order to meet him, I illegally crossed the border from Thailand into Burma. That was, uh-huh. that was, that was wrong. So he knows uh-huh. that's a criminal thing that he's doing. And, uh, but I needed to know. I had to tell report why he was doing it. He thinks it's the right thing, but everybody knows it's not. I mean, if you look at uh, any criminal, any killer, why do they kill? Because they think it's the right thing to do in their own sense, right? Yes. It doesn't, it doesn't make them good or right. Mm. I, and I'm so not going to be telling them they are wrong or right. That's not my job. I just report what they say and what I see. Do you see a lot of these uh, kingpins, criminals? Uh, they're, the common pattern is that they're sociopath or, or psychopath. Yeah, that's what they say. I mean, it, if you talk to, uh, to the experts, they say that their background. And, and honestly, they can do it. They have the access to do it. The environment allows them to do it, so they do it. A lot of them, many know that it's wrong, but they do it anyway and willing to suffer the consequences of going to jail if caught, of getting killed. They do it. This, this is not just common amongst criminals, though. Even people who are right now uh, doing legitimate business, but polluting the earth a lot, or like, for example, exploiting uh, animal through cruelty and things like that, they would be able to justify this. So this is sort of like, you know, something, a commonality within, within this, these, uh, these type of people, you know? You know, it's really hard to understand why they do, the, if we really want to be honest with ourselves, why do they, why do they kill elephants to get the tasks, to get money, right? Yeah. Why do they want to get money? To live, right? Mm-hmm. To, to be rich, maybe. But then you ask them why, because it brings so much suffering. And they just shrug their shoulders. Mm. We their own. What what then what do you say to that? I'm not the sheriff who can arrest them, but I can report to the sheriff that that's being done. It's it's like girls who who sell their bodies. It's not right, but they feel like they must, and they know it's not right. Yeah, and, and, and it's really, really at the end of the day what society deems is right, uh, what is right and wrong, right? That's, that's why, like, this, the journalism is very important to also sway the public opinion. I, in, I'll in tell the, you what's right? important is to start educating the right way 
in young children what is right and what is wrong. That's right. Fortunately for us in this world, there is more good people than there are bad people. You have to admit that. But the, if the children are taught from a very young age the right path, what is wrong and what is right, you know, and stick to it, I don't know. You know, there, there are a lot of, 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 of events will affect their lives, but you have that basic anchor in your life, there is less chance of them going bad. Would you say that's because of uh, a lot of young people today, or maybe the family or, or school today, do not really focus on the study of history? Not, I mean, not really history, personal development. Hmm. You know, they, they focus too much on, excuse me, sometimes in my country, on religion, for instance, mm. on, 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 you know, any religion, but, oh, God will, this is wrong according to God. You should do this because God says so. Instead of being very logical, very right, we live in a community of laws. The law says you cannot steal because that is robbing from the others. Very simple. But sometimes culture interferes. Culture can come in many ways. It can, can come in religion. It can come in tradition. Why are there a lot of child brides in many Muslim countries? Because they think mm. that child brides is the way to go. And so that the kids will not commit sins, they marry them young. Wow. Now, for me, that doesn't make sense, right? So that's what I mean. Sometimes it's a very complicated world. You believe with a lot of experts, with the right kind of education, you can fight ignorance because all this, the cause of all this is ignorance. Not enough right information taught by parents at home, by teachers at school. I'm a religious person. I believe in God but I also believe in common sense and survival. The, the democracy is being eroded by a lot of uh, misinformation as well, right? And, yes. and misinformation is spread a lot through technology right Overload now. Overload of information. Mm, yeah, yeah. right now with the era of digital transformation and everything that's going on, uh, how do you actually, how, what is your view, first of all, on, on social media, on, on digital transformation? Is it a net positive gain for you, in your opinion, or a net negative, number one? And how do you ensure in the future that we have a, an accurate and factual reporting uh, for, for journalists? Um, because, because sometimes the journalists themselves could make this kind of mistakes, you know, by, by getting like sources from, you know, uh, misleading information sometimes, right? right? And we, we all make mistakes that way, but how do you prevent that, right? If you're a le legitimate journalist, you will be accountable. You lose your license if you tell a lie or if you tell misinformation. When social media was just starting out, a young student, a girl, journalist came over to me. Ibu, it's so exciting. We're gonna have the internet, social media. It's great, the best thing in the world. I said, I disagree with you. Why? Where's the accountability? If everybody can become a journalist, everybody can write their own newspaper online, right? This is Yuli's newspaper. 
today I saw an accident, but there was no verification, no justification, because there's no license to report that online, which can be shared to millions of people, what happens? You know that the conflict in Ambon was started by an SMS message that was wrong, that a village was set on fire by the Christians when it was not true and set fire. I disagreed not because of anything. I think it's great that we have freedom of expression, but where is the accountability? Where can negative consequences be, be stopped, be deterred? Look, ever since social media, there is what you call citizen journalism. They call the newspapers, they say, I saw something. That's fine because the editor will say, who said so? Show me the picture or give me a source, a credible source, the mayor. That's fine. But if you cannot verify, if you cannot justify an event, it cannot, it should not, especially it ha if it has negative consequences, it should not be published. There should be right. some kind of process that prevents misinformation and disinformation and libel, defamation. Somebody can tell about me that I'm a stupid woman, cruel, you know, I beat my, my children. They can easily say that in Facebook, in Instagram, right? And who's gonna stop them? And who's going to not believe me? Because I said, I never did that. That happened, right? Didn't that happen to people in the hospital? Yeah. Yes, there has been many cases. However, having said that, should we stop this, this, this development of, the, of freedom of expression, of freedom? Of course not. You can't go back. You can't shut people up. But you can educate them to be responsible reporters, to be responsible writers. How do you do that? Again, I think that responsibility lies on the one who owns the rail. In this case, the one who owns the rail is Facebook, right? Do you think that actually yes, lies correct. on that? I was coming to that. My job, my uh, involvement with UNESCO regarding maintaining freedom of speech for the public good means that you have to be responsible. The providers of the space, the government who sets the regulations, right? That's how you do it for one thing. You kind of deter it. It won't be possible all of the time, but at least it will instill some kind of accountability and responsibility. I and my colleagues, other journalists, for a long time, knowing the consequences, the negative consequences of social media, have been campaigning for what we call media literacy, which is to teach people to recognize wrong reports, right reports, how to check the facts, to make it believable or not. So that what they read does not, is not bad. It's for there, their good. There is a body of that called ombudsman, right? But is that, oh, is that body? The ombudsman has a big role, not just mm -hmm. media. It, it helps people in trouble. If you're talking about the ombudsman that's created by the government, you know, to be the bridge, yeah. the agent between people and institutions, it covers a lot, not just the media, but media should be part of their domain as well. Mm. 
So are you saying that like most media in Indonesia, for example, should have their own internal ombudsman, especially? I I don't know if the word is ombudsman. You know, it's been a, but for sure, uh, every media, every every mainstream media, uh, that means that has is licensed and is recognized by the government and the public as a credible uh, source of information should should really be responsible. You cannot say, uh, oh, the village of so-and-so, or the people of this village went and butchered, which is what happened in, Ma- in Kalimantan a long time ago with the Maduris, between the, the Maduris and the Dayak people. They slaughtered each other just because of misinformation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, wow. I, I mean, I mean, this is. We hope that in the future there's a lot of this solution. I, I think you're part of that solution. So we are. Well, I don't know. Yeah. I, thank. Thank you so much. You. For that. <laughs> like, I would like to be. I. W- I don't mind if somebody asks me to go teach at a village on how mm. to read newspapers and reports wisely, cleverly. You know, not mm. just believe everything they say. The other day, I. I, I was sent a. Uh, um, a report that said uh, Miss Indonesia had become was chosen Miss Universe. Mm. Oh come on! I said you know, <laughs> <it's shut up. laughs> it's a, but you know, at yeah. first glance, that's a minor thing. But yeah. what if more serious? What if it's about people who are dying? They have scammers. Mm. Social media is the heaven of scammers. Mm. Yeah. How mm. do you prevent that? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, there needs to be a, a working together between the person who owns the, I mean, the company who owns the rails and 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 the government. Yeah, you're right. Like all this requires collaboration between all the different parties, right? We don't want yeah. to. Uh, we don't want to shut anybody up. Mm. Everybody has a chance to speak, but mm. speak responsibly. Mm, that's right. That's right. So, in in your opinion, that latest law for It's a controversial law, right? Uh, that that, that oh, the yeah. government passed. You know which law I'm talking about, right? To yeah. to prevent that from happening. So, I mean, what is your take on that? Well, like like a lot of laws in Indonesia, it's made so general that it can be interpreted, translated in many ways. The key to the effective implementation of laws, the way it is intended, is in the uh, 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 Pepe, you know, work the what is it called? Uh, 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 it's the uh, peraturan pelaksanaan. Yeah. No, not peraturan. The enforcement. Pelaksanaan. Yeah. Yeah. So how 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 it's interpreted? That mm. is always the key in every law. <coughs> But uh, uh, it, it remains to be seen. Uh, I don't agree with it because it puts a muzzle, and it and if you want to say criticize somebody, then they criminalize it. You know, my magazine has been sued many times by many people because we tend to say, oh, he's a he's a corrupt guy. You know, just saying that can land you in jail. Wow. We say because we, of this law. Yeah. yeah. No, before also. Oh, even before, I see. Yeah. But this law does not make it better. Defamation hmm. and libel is not, uh, you know, it's not... Uh, protected. I mean, it it is. Still- I never realized Indonesia defamation is such a big. Uh, hey, such, yeah, we we wow. we were went to my 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 boss, the ed- chief editor Bambang Harimurti, had to spend a day in jail because somebody uh, accused him of defamation. Wow. In our wow. reports, in Tempo's reports. I can't believe it's a criminal, not a civil. 
It's still a criminal. As well. And you I know, see. this is another bad thing. You should know that if you study journalism, that the, that the media laws in existence still in Indonesia goes back to the colonial Dutch law, which was intended to suppress native Indonesians. And you know, the current powers after that thought, why change it? It helps us to gain control over the people. It has not changed. Very little has changed. Little bit has changed. Interesting. But not much. Yeah, go 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 look at mm. the laws. So, yeah, I think I think I'd like to uh, ask a bit uh, about about yourself. Back to you, right? Um, throughout your journey, what are some of the biggest factor that has helped you to become successful? Um, I think a lot of it has to do with luck, perseverance and uh, careful planning, of course. I am a woman and by nature, I have to be a mother and a wife, you know? That is my, my job from God. <laughs> so I've had to balance this. Have I done it? I think so. I look at my two children and the way they are independent, they're <clears throat> making their own life, good life ahead. You know, I, I think that for me, that is an achievement. Because apart from pursuing a career in journalism, my responsibility was to bring up children, right? My children. And looking at them now as adults, I think I can say I'm successful. So I have been a successful mother and my others will, will tell them, in spite of the fact that in my job, I've had to leave them a lot alone, uh, but I've always had trusted people taking care of me. As I said, a strong support group. Uh, I achieved in my reporting. I, I went for journalism and I did it my own way. Uh, I think that I was lucky that I was overseas doing it and not at home where I would, where I would not probably had it so easy. I'm glad in a way that I'm married to a foreigner and not an Indonesian because the traditional Indonesian man would question my going out for two weeks on an assignment, for instance, mm. you know? So maybe, maybe that has a lot to do with it too. So um, I'm breaking yeah. the barriers of culture when I did all that. Uh, and and I, I don't know whether that's successful or not, but I believe that looking forward, we will live in a more globalized world, no longer the mentality of a village, of a kampung, or even a nation. We are globalizing. There's going to be no more borders, as far as I can see. You know, mm. the fact that we can travel so easily, the fact that we can communicate in seconds with somebody on the other side of the world, that's going to that's gonna break down barriers. And I feel like one of those who did that early on. It must be quite difficult uh, for for you, like as a mother, but also as a female, uh, you know, a, accomplished female individual. You know, like like just like Ibu Mari, for example. There, there as a female, there there's sacrifice that you have to make between family and 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 uh, and career. Are you, are you right? Talking about the ego of a man having a woman more successful than their husband. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to be to be honest, like that must have been quite a challenge, and. Uh, especially uh, for you to break barriers until uh, today. So what do you see though, like today, 
Um, are, are, is it improving a lot already? Um, or, or do you think this is still a major issue in, in female leaders today? Because I was just talking to Dewi before, before you joined in about the number of uh, leaders uh, during uh, your era and today, if there are any significant changes or not, right? Yes. Nayoko, you are right. We are changing slowly though. I want it to be faster. Among my friends, we speak our own mind. We do our own thing, of course, uh, with adapting to our lifestyle with, with our families and so forth. Some are able to do it, some are not, because there are people who still cannot adapt to this independence, to this, uh, uh, yeah, the independence of women. You know, women are working now. And what does that mean? Economic independence means freedom. They don't have to depend anymore on whoever. If they may, it, this is the basic thing. So this puts in confidence in women. Now, if you're in a city, you see more and more women working. What does that mean? That means opportunity to advance. There might be more and more women leaders as well. Indonesia is one country where we are trying to put that. My gripe about that, about, about um, uh, the women's movement is that it's always at the top. It's always at the urban centers, the towns. Katingalan, the villagers, the women village are always still under the, they cannot open bank accounts unless they have the signature of their husband or their father. True. Still in some villages, you know, so they can't start their own business. It's improving. Some places are changing, but things like that, that they still have to rely on men, I think that's awful. And this is still, with, my gripe here is that the gap between the women, the, uh, the, the progressive women in cities and the villages in the small towns, still very big. If people mm. talk about Kartini Day, I said, let's go help the women in the village, please. They need help. We, uh, we talk to each other, it's like convincing the converted, you know, we have these yeah. seminars talking how with this we have to do this. Stop talking. Let's go to the villages and help the women, educate them, show them how it is to do marketing, show them how mm. to to um, to speak up. And then mm. they say, yeah, but then I get beaten by my husband. That's another different thing. <sighs> yeah. I'm still wow, wow. pondering on your um, statement, like the cause of all this is ignorance and antidote to that is to instill curiosity. So in your own experience, how do you instill curiosity, say like in the village, um, say among those um, who are less educated? Okay. If you tell me to go, I followed, I am not an expert, Devi, but I followed oh, okay. an expert, a social mm worker in going to the village and talking mm -hmm. to the women. And first of all, you always have to study what they're like, their culture. Are they traditional people or are they open to, like for instance, you talk to Minang women, it's wonderful because they make them, they, they're very independent, they speak their mind. They know because they inherit, it's not the men, it's the women who inherit. So the men have to be nice to them. But in places mm -hmm. like Java, that's not the case. You have to study them. Before you go and try to persuade, to change their minds, you have to talk to them. What is it that prevents you from doing your own thing? 
Then they'll say, oh, my husband, if I don't do his way, he beats me. I said, <clears throat> and so you, you talk to, then afterwards, you, you talk to the villager, village chief and say, is this true? Is this, is this what happens in the village? Men beat their wives? What if their wives make money that would help the situation in the family? And how do they do that? Well, they have to be educated. I tell you, everybody, everybody wants to make money to make a decent living. Yes or no? Yeah. No. Okay. How do you do that if your hands are shackled all the time? Mm. If you can't do this because tradition doesn't allow women to get out. What bullshit? Mm. How do you make money that way? That's what I said. Economic independence is freedom for women. You can mm. make your money. You can do whatever you want to do. There are, um, I mean, there is one point that I keep hearing from some men right out there uh, who are against this, for example, was that, hey, look at all the other countries who have women who are independent. You see all the negative growth that are uh, population growth and so forth. You know, like you could just live on your own. You don't really have to be married if you don't want to, right? You know, well, what's, what's, your, what's, your, what's your response to that? Like I those kind of view, right? I, I, I don't agree with you on that, uh, on the fact that there's some women that will prefer not to get married. There's some men that prefer not to get married either. Mm. And as a consequence, like I think Sweden is losing population. Singapore is also losing population by, by right. birth, not by immigration, right? So we have to do uh, different. Uh, there are lots of examples where you have households where both men and women are working and producing children and are happily married. Mm. Except journalists when they have to leave their husbands for two weeks at a time. I'm actually curious, really. You you mentioned a lot about this, right? Like about, about your, your, your marriage. It's quite challenging. Your husband is also a journalist. You're both traveling and not spending time sometimes together, right? So yeah, how, do you, that long, how do you keep that? that? Long. I mean, you know, uh, there, there are jobs that keep people apart for months. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know. Uh, But in your in your own personal life, how do you keep your your relationship strong? I think it's not just a job. In my case, <clears throat> this is my second marriage, my first marriage, the father of my children, uh, mm-hmm. and it's not because of my journalism job. It's because, like any other relationship, it just fell off. You know, I married young. We married mm-hmm. young. We we're still in college, and mm-hmm. then. Uh, It just, uh, we just grew apart. I still see him. I love him a lot. But I needed another partner that could understand me better. And, mm. you know, we uh, get along. It's not, it's not the end of the world for me. And uh, uh, marriage is, nowadays, it's not important. If I had a choice, mm. I wouldn't marry, really. <laughs> Shocks you? No, I would marry. I wouldn't. No, because sometimes this is what happens. Uh, but people do get married and, and I got married for the second time and it's still on. And my husband and I fight because we are both journalists and we have different views. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hear a giggle from Dewi. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, I can see some of myself in you as well. So thank you for sharing your story. 
I want to be the honest truth. It's not a perfect world. It's not a perfect life. Um, but at the end of the day, what is it that you want? Go get it. Yeah. Mm, that's right. So my that's right. question is, I'm almost turning 40 years old. So what will you say to your 40 years old self, knowing what you know now? On what? What to do in life? Yeah, what to do in life in general. First, I'll ask you a question. Are you happy with what you're doing? Yes, I'm very happy. What would you change? Would you change anything? Uh, For the better? Well, yeah, probably I wanted to accomplish more. There you go. Do it. And what do you think that you haven't done that you want to do? That's what I would do. <clears throat> yeah. I would, I, would, I, I would advise people like you to really look. Have I achieved? If I haven't achieved, I'll work hard to achieve it. If I want the change, maybe this is the time to do it. While I can, I'm still 40, I'm still under 50. I'm, I, you know, you can change, you can do whatever you want to do at any age. I, I don't believe in, in, in stopping while you physically can. Yeah, mm, yeah. Go for it, go for it. I'm, I'm, I always encourage people to do what they feel like doing in the right way, of course. I don't say if they're, I'm going to kill that person, you know. It's, I'm being facetious. But if you feel like your ambition has not been fulfilled, go for it. If you feel like it's the wrong choice of, of career and it'll make you feel better, do better, do it. You know, just think it over, of course, the consequences. Can you afford it? Is there any baggage? How would the baggage be affected? Um, we, we have we have maybe around ten minutes left. Um, uh, Dewi, do you have any a few more questions? Do you want to ask? If you're a, a big reader, like what book has impacted on you, impact you the most, and what book are you reading now? <coughs> uh, right now, <coughs> excuse me. I love reading biographies. Mm. That's why I also like to interview people because I like to. I like to find out, as you are trying to find out, what drives people to be what they are. And mm. so I, I read um, The Iron Lady, which is one of my favorites. Because, mm. um, you know, she was from a nothing to become a prime minister of the UK, yes. Britain. I am now reading, but it's taking me a long time, to read about Putin. How, yeah. oh, interesting. how, he, has, how he has been able to stay for so long yeah 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 and you, you must be following the journalist that just covered him lately yeah i i do i still follow him because i think that he has the he has the old russia background but he's been able to adapt slightly using his old ways i found that really amazing you know very interesting uh mm. yeah i i belong to a book club but my preference is always for biographies and for, for history, uh, novels based on history, you know. And, you know, and yeah. Sorry, I just wanted, when I was teaching yeah. or when I was asked to lecture about my experience, which I still do, but you're a woman. If you're out there in the field with men, how do you cope? Don't the men want to, you know, uh, uh, do things to you? Take advantage. the bathroom. And how do you go yeah bathroom i mean there's with the guys around and i said 
it's the least thing. Yeah, first of all, there's always bathrooms around. If not, as I was in the Iraqi war, the Gulf War, I told the guys, guys, this is a natural thing. I need to go pee. Can you please turn around? And they did. You know, I mean, you just talk common sense. Everything depends on how you approach things, on your attitude. They asked me, have you ever had been sexually molested? I said, no. Somebody comes up to me and says, hey, let's go for a date. Oh, I know what you want, asshole. You know, (laughs) it's your attitude. If somebody tries to put their hands on my thing, I said, I'm a journalist. I'm going to report that you try to advance on me. Abyss, you know, then they back away. It's how, yeah. you do it's how you do things. If you're a meek person, don't be a journalist. You have to be, have a big mouth. You have to have a big courage. Also, you know, to be kurang ajar in Indonesia, as we say. <laughs> I may have a bad reputation, but I got what I wanted, you know. Actually, actually, you know, that, that's super interesting. Before we end this, I really wanted to talk about your childhood a bit. How you get those kind of... Uh, characteristics and attributes right like there must be some uh, early nurtures or, or nature in yeah, a sense you're that, absolutely yeah. right yeah first of all my parents i have a mother who is <clears throat> ethnic chinese from chirbon and mm-hmm. she has had to be outspoken in her life and she did she doesn't care she married my father a javanese my mother was very very light-skinned my father was very dark unfortunately I inherited his dark skin. And you know how kids can be very cruel, bullying? Yeah. You know, I mean, I was called blackie, uh, burnt peanut, whatever. So early on, my father uh, taught me how to be, how to defend myself, how to not be bullied. And I got those, those basic uh, teachings from my parents. Like Both martial art, you mean? Or, or no, no, no. Just in terms of attitude, character building. Oh, you know, character building. I, yeah. I, yeah. So, oh, I'm a coward when it comes to if they want to bit me, I run away. But I, I don't, I don't give in to them. Is what I'm saying. And then I was again. Here is a cultural difference. I was fortunate that I went to school mostly overseas, attending international schools. That opened my horizon, my scope. If I had attended. Indonesian public schools all my life, I don't think I would be this brave, this courageous. But I know a lot of people who have, and they are, and it's very good. Mm. But I have the education at home and at school is what makes a person. You have to know what you want. Mm -hmm. Uh, Otherwise, then you just go left and right, lost in this world of opportunities. There's so many Find yourself in this world and follow your dream. Yeah. 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 Do you, I, do you, do you, do you actually have questions for us, Buyuri? <laughs> I, you know, I read your profiles, both of you. Amazing. As I said at the beginning, I have hope for the future of Indonesia because of people like you. Please go on doing what you're doing. Besides questioning people like me. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to get any help to anybody, but uh, uh, I, I think you're doing great. Just remember, when, when you are successful, remember those who are not successful yet and spend time or resources 
to people who don't have the opportunities that you and I have. We are so fortunate to be able to achieve what we have, but there are thousands of others that don't and, and you know, they need help. Yeah, definitely. I recognize that um, I'm very lucky as well, like born in, into a family that can help and support me as well. And just probably both of us, like Gary and I as well. So definitely this is a time for us to give back as well. I still has to write my biography. I'll let you know. I'm going to call it, in English, it's going to be called Reporting Beyond Borders because wow. my journalism is outside of Indonesia. And I, I like the title. <laughs> You'll buy it, huh? Yeah, 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 yes, for sure. Let us know. Put it, put it on Kindle, well. please. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wow. Uh, thank you so much for this session. It's been a pleasure talking pleasure. to you. Pleasure. Yes, thank please you. Keep on thank going. Thank you, really. All right, I hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to subscribe. I'm your host, Naiko Jackson. Thanks for listening. Bye.